Welcome back to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. All right, Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He's Steve from Xbox Live, Stevevich. And what episode are we on, Steve? Uh, I believe this is episode 82. You are correct. And what is today's date? Uh, today is July 28th. Oh, he's firing on all cylinders, ladies and gents. But the time they'll be hearing this, though, it'll be the July 30th. That's very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> so we are going to be going through a bit of movie news today. And um, after that, we're going to have our topic of the day, which is our review of Mission Impossible. <laughs> Fallout. Okay. <laughs> um, you forgot to... <laughs> I, I stopped <laughs> while I was ahead. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. If you would like to... Um, Fast forward to where we do the uh, the review. You can uh, check out the timestamp that is located in this episode's details section of whatever platform you're using, whether it's iTunes or Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, just keep listening. So, Steve, what? How was your week? Ah, uh, the week went by pretty quick. It did go by pretty fast. Seems like the older I get, the uh Faster I blink, time just goes by, and now weeks just click off, Russ. It does indeed, Steve. <laughs> it really does. No, I mean, the older I get, too, I have that same exact sensation where I'm just like, wow, um, it's 2018, and we're almost in August. Yes. Yes, we are. Has the year gone by fast in your eyes? It has. Okay. Seems like it was just winter not too long ago, and now it's hot as can be. Mm-hmm. But we're at the end of July, so summer is uh, about at its peak. It is. About to start falling off and looking at fall. Wow, so that's unfortunately where we live. We still have about uh, two, maybe three months left yeah. of um, so hot it'll melt you. Yeah. No, temperatures. I, I went outside to make a few personal phone calls while I was at work. <laughs> and uh, so that when I'm, when I'm inside, they have it so cold. And where I'm sitting, I have... The AC blowing right on my noggin. Oh, I bet that's nice. Well, it is, but it's so cold. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting close to the AC, too. Mm-hmm. And so they actually have it around like 73. Mm-hmm. Because I'm so close to the AC, it feels mm-hmm. like it's 63. And it's all on my, my right side. So my right side is like like my hand and my head and my ears are freezing cold. And then like my left side is all warm. So like it's the, the heat and cold is transferring through my body. I, I don't know. get kind of clammy. But so I go outside. <laughs> I go outside and it's like 113 degrees. I'm like, oh, it's so hot. Trying mm-hmm. to make a phone call. Go back inside, all sweaty. And now it's just like, just 96 degrees outside. 97. I, <laughs> I'm glad you said something about that because I was talking to a colleague about the exact same thing about how I have actually gotten so used to it being between 107 to 112 degrees that there was a, a few days this week where it actually got back down to about like 94. I was I was walking around outside. I'm like, you know what? This is this is not bad. I could take this. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not. Uh, for, and it was weird too because I really wasn't sweating very much at right. all. Yeah. And it's 94 degrees yeah. outside. Like any other time, I would be profusely sweating. But I think the body must have just started getting acclimated to the intense heat or something. Because 94 was like, 
I could do this. It's not bad. <laughs> Anybody want to play outside? Any other time, I would be like, it's 94. This is so hot. <laughs> I think our blood is probably thinned out to the point of just like Kool-Aid or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this next weekend, well, I'm going to be in Kenheda. That's C-A-N-H-E-Y-D-A, in case you're wondering, Russ. And that place does not exist. Um... They, they're around 70 degrees, so I think I'm going to have to bring my snow gear. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably bring your parka <laughs> or something. Hey, is it cold to you guys? I'm like freezing over here. That's that's the biggest thing. <laughs> Being in the Bay Area, I mean, we were used to those types of temperatures. It was you know kind of common to be with 70s and 80s, whatever. And, eh. Wasn't it? Was it? Uh, who was it? Who said, Was it Mark Twain? I don't know. The coldest? The, 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 no. Yeah, the coldest. Oh, what did he say? The coldest winter I've been in was a summer in San Francisco. I have no idea. Nah, I am not up. up on my Mark Twain quotes. <laughs> oh, you should be. <laughs> there is one that I thought was memorable from the big short. Remember that one? No. It's something along the lines of, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you do know that just ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm digging it. What else has been going on in your life, Steve? Well, after the last show, I went home and I beat Halo 5. Congratulations. Thank you. Then I proceeded to go multiplayer. On Halo 5? Uh, yes, I did. I have not tried that yet. Are there any players still? Well, there was, but since I'm... <laughs> there was a player. <laughs> yeah, hey, what's up? Uh, <laughs> all right, want to do this? Capture the flag? Um, so... I don't know. It, it felt very dated. It felt like... Well, the hey, game is old. I mean, yeah, what's well, not... I, by, by old, I mean like it felt like a, like 2005 old. Isn't it like a five-year-old game now? Russ, it's 2018. I know it's 2018, but when did the title come out? I came out like probably a couple years ago. No. Yeah. It had to... Let's see. Halo 4 came out in 2012. And, uh... Siri, when did Halo 5... Ugh. <laughs> Siri, when did Halo 5 release? Here's what I found oh, out. good grief. Just tell me the answer. <laughs> Man. Here, let me, let, me, let me look it up for you since clearly we don't know uh, when it was released. I want to say it's probably 2014. Maybe... Anyway. Maybe... maybe. 2015. 2015 released. 2015? October 27th, 2015. All right. So three years old. Yeah. Okay. Well, it feels like it's 13 years old. That's a little dramatic there. Don't it's you think there, Steve? It's not dramatic. So I, I went into big team battle, which was capture the flag. And I thought, you know what? That's just, you know, for old time's sake, let me do a little CTF Halo mm -hmm. style. Sure. Eight on eight. And... I, I don't know. People maybe it was just people goofing around with the map looked really old. Like it wasn't anything special. Just like okay, here's two bases. Throw in a couple of hills here and uh, a sky. Okay, go. And it didn't look like anything new or special. I'm surprised or, to hear that. Uh, and so anyway, I'm playing it, and I don't. know, Maybe it was just too many people goofing around and like here, get in the warthog. Let's go. And then they just drive <laughs> off a cliff. And like ah, uh, I was like, this is. I think I'm done. 
I wish they would have a regular griff ball mm. that I could just go ahead and play griff ball. Or uh, I was looking for a, a team firefight because I remember playing that on Halo Reach, and that was fun. I don't know, maybe I'll go back into it and play it. But do they have a ranking system in Halo Five multiplayer? Um, if they do, I, I skipped through it. <laughs> Because I was going to say, the reason why I'm asking is that it, that may be why you have people who are goofing off is that they were at such low levels that like you don't get like the hardcore players, all the hardcore players who've been playing it for the past three years are clearly yeah, maybe. higher yeah. on the food chain. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, anyhow, I, you know, I played the game and I beat it and it was somewhat satisfactory. I don't know. I think it left it open for Halo 6. It didn't feel like a game that was tied up. I don't right. Know. Maybe, that, maybe that's the way they intended it to be. But I personally liked the second half of Halo 5. I thought the first half was just dreadfully boring and yeah. uninspired. And, and it just honestly did not feel like Halo to me. Yeah, uh, I did think that uh, the, the second half, though, things actually started getting more inspiring and, and it did feel a bit more Halo-esque. And I was like, okay, now we're starting to, to kind of get somewhere. But um, I never tried the multiplayer. That was the one thing I did not try. However, everywhere I read an article about it, or if I talked to someone who had played it, everyone had nothing but great things to say about the multiplayer. Did you play um, all of the maps, or did you just play like a couple of different maps? Uh, no, I just play, I think it was like a it was Blood Gulch that I played, if I'm not mistaken. So you played one map out of all the multiplayer yeah. maps. Okay. Do you think you're gonna? Explore some of the other maps. Maybe that was yeah. just kind of a fluke for that one. I might go back. I'm not. I sure. think you should, Steve. I might. I don't know. I think you give it a shot, especially because <laughs> you still have the game. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't given it back to you yet. No, and it's fine. <laughs> I have plenty of games. Yes, you do, including mine. Yes, that you haven't even played yet. Correct. No, not not to mention you still have my Netflix DVD. I haven't even sent it back yet. Still, it's sitting here collecting dust. It's sitting here. It is in fact sitting Man. here. Maybe I can watch that tonight. Maybe I'll do that. No, you won't. I, 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 I might surprise you. I know you too well. You're going to get online. <laughs> we're gonna, you're going to get together with somebody and play Overwatch, or we're going to get together with... You didn't say it right. Overwatch. What's magic to my ears? Or we're going to play some Sea of Thieves with Big Baby Moose. We haven't played with him in a, about a week. The Cursed Sails, I believe, is going to be dropping any time now. Yeah. It's supposed to be dropping this month, and mm -hmm. considering fact that we have two days left yeah it could very well drop tonight and i think the developer was saying something along the lines of if you haven't if you're saving all your gold continue to save it until the package drops because they're gonna have a sale basically on everything all the prices are gonna drop on on pretty much everything that's been out oh so or have they mentioned any kind of new inventory that oh, yeah, they'll they're be gonna bring adding new, to it yeah they're gonna bring some new inventory but they said if you haven't if you've been hoarding your gold and you haven't seen anything that you really like or maybe you have but you're saving for it still keep saving for it until the the dlc drops and then um then spend it because you'll, you'll get a little bit of a discount a little little silly sale no nice. pun no pun intended <laughs> chance for all you pirates to be a little thrifty out there Anything else going on, Steve? Um, no, just continue to watch my uh, my black sales. I forgot my, about my that. TV show. I didn't realize you were still watching it. Yeah, it's okay. I think it, it, I think it's a little over dramatic that it has to be, but they want to, you know continue the story. Whatever, yeah. it's entertaining. You know, whatever. What about you, Russ? I thought I would re uh, recommend. No. I would remind all of our joygasmers out there that we are back on Spotify. 
So I was looking at um, our numbers. It was amazing. We actually had quite a few listeners who started listening to us on Spotify before that whole technical glitch happened. And all of a sudden I was like trying to work with both Spotify and our uh, podcast hosting provider to try and figure out what the problem was. And that took about two months and that just kind of derailed us on that platform. So we are in fact back live. All the episodes have returned in all their stupendous glory on the Spotify platform. So if you like Spotify, check us out on there. Uh, I watched a movie called You Were Never Really Here. And if Uh, you recall, that was the Joaquin Phoenix movie that we were talking about. Finally checked it out. Uh, I thought it was decent. Okay. I thought that it was not nearly as brutal. Everyone kept saying, oh, this is such a brutal movie. It's so brutal. And while there are there are a couple of scenes that are, are brutal. It's like, whoa, yeah, that is pretty brutal. Most of it, though, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, you'd kind of wince a little bit, that sort of thing. But it, but it definitely, I think the the whole um, beating of the brutal war drum was more designed for hype than actual, like, wow, like this is this is something that hasn't been shown before, kind mm-hmm. of the thing. Having said that, though, I mean, I always love watching Joaquin Phoenix. I think that he, the characters that he plays um, just always fascinate me. They, they always kind of pull me into the, the story. So I don't know. I, I would say if you're looking for something that's a bit different off the beaten path then check it out. But otherwise, if you, if you never really watch it, eh, you're not really missing a ton. So, I mean like the movie her is way more like, Whoa, that was crazy kind of thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, so one of the things that was interesting was um, as I was looking at the different statues from this past San Diego Comic-Con at Sideshow Collectibles, there was that one particular statue of the female that looks like like she's kind of coming out of the water and one of her forearms and hands is kind of see-through. It has kind of watery looking and the, and the character's name is Aspen. And I was thinking, Aspen, what is that? And the style kind of looked familiar. And so I was kind of searching around online and whatnot. And and I realized that actually that character is from the comic book Fathom, which is created and um, it was drawn by Michael Turner. And I don't know if you know who Michael Turner is um, because you didn't really follow Top Cow Productions very much. But anyway, he was an artist that got picked up by Mark Silvestri who's one of my favorite comic book artists. He's the one who did like Cyberforce. And oh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, had done some of the the Marvel uh, comic books before he joined Image. He was kind of one of the, the founders of Image Comics. Anyway, I found out that Michael Turner died in like 2008. The dude was 37 years old. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really shocked because he was the one who also created... Um, did you ever see that comic book called Witchblade? Yeah. He did that one too. Okay. And so I was kind of looking up just kind of his, his career path. And literally before he got in the comics, like he worked at a restaurant. He was like a server or something and happened to um, go to like a Comic-Con or something, meet Mark Silvestri, kind of talk to him a bit about just what the craft is about, showed him some of his work. And Mark Silvestri was so impressed. He's like, yeah, I'd love to have you come on and, um, give you a shot and everything else. And then that's where the Witchblade stuff came up. And of course that was a huge success. And then he started um, doing something on his own, which was like the Fathom comic. And um, yeah, like I was just really shocked because his style 
was very complimentary of kind of like the Mark Silvestri world. Mark Silvestri has definitely his own style. I think I would say Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri are my two top favorite comic book artists. And, um, but I, but looking at his work, I was thinking, man, that, that is pretty close. Like, like I, I definitely enjoy looking at some of the stuff that he's done. And, and he, the guy would just like on his lunch break, for instance, while working at the restaurant, you know, he just work on his, his sketching skills and that sort of thing. And so kind of a, um, just a, a sad loss that he, he went away, uh, at such a young age. I mean, he's right around our age and it's just like, man, that's, Causes one to pause and think of our own mortality again. Right. Just, you know, how lucky we are to be alive. And, yeah. You know, just don't take what happens on a daily basis for granted. But, um, yeah, pretty interesting. So, yeah, that statue is actually a, a kind of a paying homage to Michael Turner and that sort of thing. And then the statue looks awesome. Um, so, anyway, of course, we were also playing some Overwatch this week. And the Wrecking Ball dropped. No pun intended. Well, maybe the pun was intended. I'll let you decide. And uh, I love that character. Hammond, the, the little hamster dude that's in that 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 like mech ball thing. Did you get a chance to play with him at all? No, I was, uh, I met, I've been meaning to go to the training arena and play with him a little bit, but I have not yet. Okay. Well, next time we play Overwatch, you should try and give him a shot. He's a pretty cool addition. Um, He's a he's a tank class, and there are some key differences between someone like him versus Diva. One of the biggest changes, of course, is like Diva has an unending amount of, of bullets that she just fires. Hammond, you have to reload. Uh, yeah, basically reload after a certain amount of time. But yeah, I think that he he definitely adds a different dynamic to the gameplay, especially like on the maps where you have kind of that king of the hill you know, trying to control the territory thing. What is, what, what is like the official Overwatch name for those maps? I don't know. I, I mean, it's objective A and objective. Eh, well, not really. Is it objective? <laughs> sure. I, I don't even know. But anyway, there are certain ones like on Nepal, for instance, we were playing against a, a team that had a wrecking ball on their team and, and they did something brilliant, which was just they used the harpoon cable of the wrecking ball and started just swinging in circles around the top of that kind of uh, temple area in the center of the map, you know, where, where you're supposed to try and control the area. And as a result, I mean, he was constantly knocking everyone on our team out of the territory and it was very difficult to try and get in there. And I think we lost that, that we did match. Yeah. But again, something having something like that, it's like, wow, like that really changes up the strategy as to how you're going to try and take control of that area. And of course, the personality of Wrecking Ball is like beyond cute. I mean, it's just, it's just it's cute times a hundred, and it's a charming little guy. And and I love all the, um, just the, the the emotes that that they have for him, and like the highlight intros and stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of really fun things. I also really appreciate too how they were methodical in thinking about okay, when this Wrecking Ball is in the shape of a ball how do the legs and the arms fold into this thing, into a ball versus when he wants to go into tank mode and then these things come out. Like it's not some random thing. Like they actually literally fit into all right. these different parts of the ball. So definitely appreciated that. Did you have any thoughts on that character? No, he, um, I mean, I'll have more thoughts when I actually play with him. I, at first I liked the, the, the computer 
translator for him. And he's like, I'm taking fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine if you play with them for a bit, that might get annoying. I you hear all those high squeaks and then, I don't know. I think that would, I don't know. I know what you're talking about because when I was playing Wrecking Ball or playing as Wrecking Ball, uh, yeah, the, there is something about the voice that I did get kind of tired of. It, I don't know if it, if it was just the, the style of voice, like the maybe the deepness or something, but there was right. something there where like I found myself thinking, I'm not going to be digging this if I have to hear this all the time. Yeah. So I think that that perhaps that would be the only critique. Yeah. Is like maybe they should rethink that, but I think it's probably too late now because they've already put it out there. But oh man, the animations are awesome. Just everything about it is just it's just great. Good, Ross. The last thing I wanted to touch upon that's been new is um, I have a bone to pick with Movie Pass. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. <clears throat> I have gone to see. Ant-Man and the Wasp two times and both times I have gone uh, the the whole movie pass app is not working saying something along the lines of how they're having some some sort of technical difficulties with the server or whatever it is basically I was unable to use my movie pass and had to just shout out the the cash for it which obviously kind of thwarts the whole concept of just paying 10 bucks a month and being able to go and see right. one movie per day so the first time it happened, I thought to myself, okay, um, these things will inevitably happen. There's not a whole lot of control that a, a, a brand new company can have. I'll forgive them this one time. But then the second time happened, and it was ironic how it was, it was on the same movie as well. Like just, I couldn't, it wasn't even just, just on that one movie. Like I couldn't select any movie. And um, upon doing some research on it, came to find out that... Um, the outage was caused by the company temporarily running out of cash. The company. Um, okay. Like they literally ran out of money and they had to do an emergency borrowing of $5 million to $6.2 million from like some angel investor or something in order to pay their processing fees with whichever, I guess they're, they, they pay processing fees to some sort of infrastructure that handles the transactions. <laughs> they literally had no money in their bank. Remember we've been covering this in yeah. previous news articles about how like they're burning through 5 million a month. Well, I think literally they didn't have any more cash. And as a result, like, um, like their stock has also been tanking too. Like, like I think their stock, um, dropped by like 90%. And then, um, on top of that, they, they tried doing a reverse split on the stock in order to get pump up the price. And as soon as that happened, then it dropped another 50%. So I don't know, like, like based on this recording, by the time this goes live to everybody on Monday, I'm not sure if movie pass is still going to be in business. I have no idea. And just to also just push this, this notion too that, um, with, with, uh, mission impossible fallout, that also, uh, to a lot of folks, was not available this weekend. And, of course, Mission Impossible is one of the, the hottest movies of the summer. It's like why people go to the movies. So if you were to go to, like, the, the Movie Pass's Facebook page, for instance, I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that have been commenting on, on there going, what is the problem? What's going on? And what's really surprising, too, is they don't have any kind of community manager that 
has been responding to people's inquiries or comments or anything. I mean, they've been radio silent on this whole thing, which is like the worst thing that you could possibly do in this type of situation. And you know that the movie theater companies are loving it, like Cinemark and AMC, because MoviePass has been a disruptor of their business now for about, about a year, I guess. And it's forced them to come up with their own kind of membership subscription plans. And so they're actually sitting in a much better position because they're obviously making money through other means. They're not kind of solely depending on this one type of avenue. And if MoviePass goes bye-bye, then they're going to be sitting pretty. But I will say that the silver lining that if that were to happen is it forced those two big companies to actually create some kind of subscription plan, which I think is fair because they keep increasing their prices. The Obviously, if you go by uh, refreshments, that sort of thing, the prices are just ridiculously expensive. So being able to have something uh, that could kind of work, and, and, and they're by no means, I still think that, that the MoviePass model is the best out of them. And I think AMC is probably second from there. Cinemarks is far too confusing. Honestly, I don't think it's that. It needs to be a clearer picture of what you can get if you sign up for this membership, this like loyalty program. And hopefully they'll be able to, to make some updates to it. But I got to tell you, man, it's, it's really crazy to look at this. And I have been a member of MoviePass only for a few months. And when they, when I first got the card, I was, I was actually really enjoying um, the benefits of it, being able to go check out the movies. And then it was right before they started making all these changes too. like, oh, now we're doing, you know, remember, remember the whole peak pricing thing where like they started adding surcharges and like for some movies, it's like $6 surcharge and other, and other ones it's $3. And so there's, there's not a consistency that's there. And, um, and of course, then they started adding other things too. Like you have to take a picture of your movie ticket and then upload it. So to make sure that like you're a legit customer, you're not abusing the system and that sort of thing. So there's, there's this constant state of, of updates and changes. And as a result, it's becoming more and more annoying, I guess you could say to use it as opposed to just, you know what, I'm just going to pay the, t- the price of the ticket and then go in and watch the movie. Um, so yeah, I, I, I go back and forth with that, but I thought it was worth talking about. And especially cause you have not gotten a movie. <laughs> no drama here. Russ. I'm, I'm conflicted cause I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should cancel my subscription to it or if I should just wait and see what happens. I mean, the decision might be made for me. Like I said, there may be no more movie pass in <laughs> like a couple of weeks or something. I have no idea. Do you have anything to say about that, Steve? No, I don't Russ. Well, you should, because mm. I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, well, I'll conjure up if you want to get to movie news. Well, if you so insist, Steve, I yeah, suppose we could go I right into some movie shist. news. What? What? Joker. Joaquin Phoenix closes deal to star in lower-budget standalone movie. The Hollywood, the Hollywood Reporter revealed... <laughs> the Holly Lolly reports that... <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter revealed Warner Brothers has reportedly signed on Joaquin Phoenix to star as the clown prince of crime in its low-budget Joker origin film, which reportedly starts production this September. 
The Hangover's Todd Phillips will uh, be attached to write and direct. Eminem's Eight Mile writer Scott Silver is co-writing the script. According to THR, the studio describes this Joker tale as an, quote, exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study, but also a broader cautionary tale, end quote. <laughs> a man victimized and oppressed by society. <laughs> <laughs> It will be a standalone release. Apparently, Jared Leto will have his own Joker return in a different film. So this goes into the whole notion that we've been covering before about how DC is flirting with the idea of how there are going to be multiple characters that could be on screen roughly simultaneously. So you could have a Joaquin Phoenix Joker at the same time you could have a Jared Leto Joker. And again, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think it could be cool. I know for myself, I'm very excited to see a Joaquin Phoenix Joker because I think that th that man could do the character justice. What say you, Steve? Um, well, Russ, I think I'm up in the air with it. Joaquin Phoenix is either hit and miss. Hit, hit, hit or miss, not hit and miss. <laughs> yeah. You can't <laughs> hit it and miss. you miss it at the same time. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see. I'm definitely curious. My ears are perked. They're perked? Yes, they are. That's what I like about you, Steve. <laughs> Tapping into your inner, inner Doberman pincher. I was just about to say that. Took the words right out of my esophagus. This next story is a big of a bit of a doozy here. James Gunn fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Once again, the Hollywood Reporter reports that James Gunn has been fired as director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Controversial tweets were posted in which Gunn made jokes about topics such as rape and pedophilia, primarily during the years of 2008 and 2009. Walt's, uh, Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn said in a statement, quote, the offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James's Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values, and we have severed our business relationship with him, end quote. Gunn took to Twitter to explain his past actions in a series of tweets that include, quote, it's not to say I'm better, but I am very, very different than I was a few years ago. Today, I try to root my work in love and connection and lessen anger. My days saying something just because it's shocking and trying to get a reaction are over, end quote. Uh, there's another quote I have here. It's pretty long. Just bear with me. I think it's important to say. It says, quote, my words of nearly a decade ago were at the time totally failed and unfortunate efforts to be provocative. I have regretted them for many years since, not just because they were stupid, not at all funny, wildly insensitive, and certainly not provocative like I had hoped, but also because they don't reflect the person I am today or have been for some time. Regardless of how much time has passed, I understand and accept the business decisions taken today. Even these many years later, I take full responsibility for the way I conducted myself then. All I can do now beyond offering my sincere and heartfelt regret is to be the best human being I can be. Accepting, understanding, committed to equality, and far more thoughtful about my public statements and my obligations to our public discourse. To everyone inside my industry and beyond, I again offer my deepest apologies. Love to all, In quote. So just so you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was set to begin shooting in Atlanta this fall with an expected release date of 2020. Gunn has been writing the script and was attached as the writer and director for the third installment in April 2017 after the continued success of the second film. 
It is unknown who will be taking over the film at this time. This story is, of course, um, kind of attached to a larger trend that we've been seeing over the past year. There's been a lot of stuff going on. Um, but what's interesting is that it, it was kind of actually kind of difficult to find the actual tweets themselves. And I didn't find them. I found a couple of them anyway. One of them said, quote, I like when little boys touch me in my silly place. And, uh, <laughs> and another one read, quote, the best thing about being raped is when you're done being raped. And it's like, woo, this feels great not being raped. Not funny, not, I mean, provocative, yeah, but why even say that? See, and that's my kind of thing too, is like you're you're on a social media platform like Twitter. And I think one of the biggest things about being on social media is it's so difficult to even understand the tone of voice because it's, it's you're reading text. It's right. like the most, it's, it's kind of ironic in a way because it's social media, it's based on a communications platform, but because it's text, it's the worst way to communicate ever, as opposed to using your voice on the phone or using a video. That way people can actually read a lot more of just kind of what your your purpose is for saying something. It's tough because I think he's, he's, he's a really talented director. I, I definitely love his work in Guardians of the Galaxy, that sort of thing, but I also um, follow him on Twitter, and I have seen the the guy is very... Um, he's very out there. I mean, like, just there, there are lots of different types of uh, colorful commentary uh, that kind of run the gamut, and I don't know. I think at the end of the day... If you, you just, don't, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, there's that. <laughs> but I also think, too, that I think that, that people are waking up to the fact that, like, these are paper trails. Like, it doesn't matter if you're on Facebook or you're on Twitter, Instagram, any of these different places. Once you put something up there for the public to consume, it's, it's, it's there. And... I just, I think that the best course of action would be to just treat those places like a public potluck. You know, you go somewhere, you, there are people who you know, there are people who you don't know, and you, oftentimes you have to really kind of mind your P's and Q's. You can't be as raw and, uh, I just don't know what the word is for it, but, but just not as blunt, I guess you could say. So we'll see what happens. I mean, like, kind of the updates of some of the um, parts of the story is that obviously the cast have come forward and offered support for James Gunn. There, there has been a petition that has been started where I think the last time I looked, there was around 150,000 signed but, um, uh, signatures to that petition. So I think it might be an ongoing thing, but we'll just have to see what happens. Now, Switching gears here a bit, DC names its movie brand. As you know, Steve, the MCEU stands for... Marvel Entertainment Universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Marvel Cinematic Extended Universe. Oh, okay. Mine well, was the abbreviated version of that. <laughs> no. Some people will call it just the MCU, just the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, <clears throat> Heroic Hollywood reports that the DC Extended Universe has officially named itself Worlds of DC. Nah. Yeah, no, that's kind of my response. 
just I'm kind of like <laughs> honestly I like DCEU I like the, or DCU I think it's it just plays right in with the MCU kind of there thing there you go and here's DC trying to reinvent the wheel I'm like dude just, just Join it, man. Just make good stories. Make good movies. Don't overthink it. Now, Chris Hardwick, if you recall, had that whole situation going on with an ex-girlfriend where she was interviewed and and was talking about how allegedly he was uh, abusive and that sort of thing. And that led to him getting kicked out of him doing uh, some emceeing at San Diego Comic-Con and leaving Talking Dead, which is the, the after show from Walking Dead, that sort of thing. Apparently, he's returning to Talking Dead following an AMC investigation. AMC has issued a statement, quote, following a comprehensive assessment by AMC working with Kagan Bierman of the firm Loeb and Loeb, who has considerable experience in this area, Chris Hardwick will return to AMC as the host of Talking Dead and Talking with Chris Hardwick. We take these matters very seriously, and given the information available to us after a very careful review, including interviews with numerous individuals, we believe returning Chris to work is the appropriate step. End quote. Hardwick is expected to return to host Talking Dead for Fear of the Walking Dead's mid-season premiere on August 12th. Due to scheduling, we hear that Yvette Nicole Brown will serve as interim host for the Walking Dead Season 9 preview special airing on August 5th and will appear as a guest on the August 12th episode of Talking Dead. And of course, just to recap, Hardwick was replaced as moderator for a number of high-profile panels at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, and also serves as uh, host of NBC's The Wall. NBC has yet to comment on Hardwick's status beyond announcing that the network was conducting its own internal review. So it's a new wrinkle in this whole story that has surfaced that really kind of jeopardized his career, especially considering it was alleged. There's there's no actual real proof that that stuff has happened. But I'm telling you, man, it is been uh, just it's been something that I don't even know how to really describe it but like just with the Me Too movement which obviously starting out with someone like Harvey Weinstein that needed to happen but I feel like there has been some other stuff going on and of course as an outsider I, I don't know what's going on I don't know all the details but just there has been a laundry list of various well known celebrities who have been affected by it some of which you know, it needed to happen and others. I'm like, man, it's, I'm kind of scratching my head thinking, was that true or not? What do you think, Steve? Well, it's a slippery slope, Russ. We could talk all day about it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think there's Hollywood's a bit greasy. I mean, there's all these like tight lip stuff that's going on where, you know, something happens. Somebody maybe dabbled in pedophilia here and there, but they're not really talking about it. And, and, you know, or, or it sexual could have been harassment, sexual harassment, or it could have been a lot worse. Like with the whole thing with Kevin Spacey, um, you know, that whole thing went away really quick because he came out and said something. Too much of that goes on on Hollywood and, and maybe more of it needs to come to the surface. But that doesn't give an excuse to, to for people to jump on the bag wagon and think maybe I can get something out of this if I go forward and either make this up or make a mountain out of a molehill sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you can, you can come at it from many different angles. I, I'm not making any judgment, but yeah. you know. 
Well, the final story here is that uh, your good old pal, Kelsey Grammer, Steve, is eyeing a Frasier reboot. Oh, of course he is. According to Deadline, the reboot would take place outside of Seattle, where the original series was set, and could feature new characters. Frasier Crane would be the link between the two series. Grammar is reportedly meeting with writers to figure out how to launch the reboot, though Grammar and CBS TV Studios, which distributes Frasier, declined to comment. So it's it's very much a, a new kind of dealio, but... Something I thought you'd be excited about. And of course, our uh, dear old dad might uh, get a little, uh, I don't know, peaking of the interest. Those reboots are kind of a tricky deal. Because and why is that, Steve? Because they've, they've, they've had their success. They've had their glory. And they most of the time quit while they were ahead. They quit while they were good. And so if they reboot it, it's like they're trying to come back from the dead and, you know, sometimes a comeback might work. It might not work, but mm. you've already seen your, your glory days. So people are, are going to judge you by your, your, your previous top, work, your previous and, work while your top standard. Yeah. So if anything, you know, if the writers have changed, maybe they're not as good, but you're bringing it, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Are you, are you interested in wanting to check it out or well, of course. has that, has that ship sailed for you? Well, personally? I think the actor who was Frazier's dad, who was a big draw to the show, I think he actually passed away. Oh, really? Yeah. See, and that, that kind of thing can be tough. And, and that's probably why they're kind of researching up like who the new cast could be. But I feel like there was like the perfect storm of, of different actors that was a part of that original TV show and. Well, plus, I don't. I don't think Frazier ever settled down. If I remember the way the series went, like you know, his, his brother Miles married the the British Daphne. Daphne, yeah, and they started a life together. Frazier was still the bachelor guy. His radio program was going back and forth. Like I don't really know where they would go from here. Mm-hmm. I understand. Well, Steve, I do believe it is time for that. Topic. What better be? Of the day. Let's get pumped. song. I know that I sound like a broken record every time that happens, but those segment songs bring a tear to the eye. That they do, Russ. <laughs> Does it put a smile on your face, Steve? Well, I will say it uh, when we get to the, what is it, the spoiler elevator, then we're going to have to fall out of the elevator. Oh! oh that might bring a tear to my eye. Bring a tear to your eye. Hmm. So our topic of the day, of course, is we are going to be doing our review of Mission Impossible Fallout. As always, we are going to begin... <laughs> M-I-F. Yes, MIF. MIF. Not to be confused with MILF. <laughs> the, <laughs> the L is silent. <laughs> I'm, I wasn't going to even go to my thought from that. Rather. Yeah, it's okay. I went there for you. Yeah, no, no. I was going to go past. <laughs> I was going to go further than that, but, uh, you know. It's good to keep the audience... Uh, guessing. Maybe not necessarily guessing, but... On their toes? On their toes. Yes. Mm. Make them go, wait, do they just say... <gasps> ah! Uh, okay. 
Anyway, uh, we are going to have... <laughs> Mommy, f- what's a MILF? <laughs> <laughs> well, Timmy. <laughs> Timmy asked me that again in 10 years. Yeah. Excuse me while I go and write Joygasm a hate email. <laughs> Anyway, uh, what we're going to do is uh, give our high-level impressions of the film so that those of you who have not seen the film will be able to get a recommendation to yay or nay it, and then we will go into the spoiler elevator where we will go to the spoiler floor and be able to drill down into the film as per usual. But before we get into any of that, let's refresh ourselves by watching the trailer. El Trailer. There cannot be peace without first a great suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. The end you've always feared is coming. It's coming. And the blood will be on your hands. I prayed to God that it wasn't true. Solomon Lane escaped in Paris. But now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. You use a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. This is a bad idea. Is it ever a good one? Honestly. He's not just some observer. He's an assassin. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. You go rogue, he's been authorized to hunt you down and kill you. That's the job. No hard feelings. Which way, Betty? Turn left! Go, 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 go! What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Oh, sorry. Good luck. When the clock stops, Ethan Hunt will lose everyone he ever cared about. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. You've lost this one what's done is done. What's done is done when we say it's done. Showtime. Oh my god. Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. You know, there's a better trailer than that one, Russ. That, that, that one was a little bit of the, the, the darker side of the trailer. You know? It is a little darker, but it has more of the story plot points. Yeah, I guess. And especially, like, you know, since this is audio only, it's You're good right. to be able to provide a bit of context for our fellow Joygasm. You Joy. know, I'm starting to notice a pattern with these trailers where when the scene changes, they do, you see it a lot in the Avengers. But when the scene changes and they blink the scene, they go, and this thing goes click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. That was a pattern here. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's it's uh, part of a, the editing process. Yes, I, I think the editing process might need a writing. 
Huh? Well, Steve, uh, as with everything, <laughs> the editing process also has various trends, and you have been able to mm-hmm. identify Thank you. a certain trend within the editing world. You know, there was a scene, and not this trailer, but the other, the other previous trailer, mm-hmm. that showed a, a, a scene mm. saying that it was not in the movie. Right you are. Yes. It was a scene that involved Tom Cruise in a helicopter barreling towards a semi-truck that was jackknifing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you are correct. Mm-hmm. That one did not make it into the film, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. What <clears throat> did you think of Myth? I liked it, Russ. You know, it uh, for an action flick... It, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be a teenager walking in there with a big bucket of popcorn, you know? Mm. I mean, it, 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 don't get me wrong. It is a popcorn movie. Did it make you feel like a tween? No. Oh. That's what I'm saying. It, it did not. I, I, I didn't say teen. I said tween. I, that's even worse, Russ. No. Anyway. So I don't want to say that it, it treats you like an adult because it's not an adult action movie, but it's more of a, um, I don't know. It, it makes you feel like a grown up watching an action movie. If that makes any sense. Yeah. For example, like if you go into, I don't want to name any names, you go into an action movie and like the the protagonist is like the, the big buff guy. Like he, he's obviously supposed to, you know, conjure to a certain audience mm-hmm. or the female characters are, are overly sexualized because they're supposed to be the eye, the eye candy in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and a damsel in distress. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> the did or a lot of the lines they use are supposed to be like these one line zingers, like, you know, um, take that chrome dome. <laughs> so anyhow, and there was none of that in the, in the movie. There was, you know, Tom Cruise acting like Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. a lot of experience under his belt. Uh, you know, of course you got Angela Bassett in there. I don't think they gave her enough time, but uh, Angela, I'm a fan of Angela Bassett. And so anyway, there's a lot of stuff that that is to like about the movie as far as it is being an action movie. I think I think it treats the audience with respect and not like assuming that all the 13 year old boys are just going to come in and watch it. You know, Mm -hmm. no, I totally agree. I think that that is a a great. It is great. Russ comment. It is great. Steve. Thank you. You know, you. I think you nailed it uh, on the head, really, is that I found myself just really enjoying the thrills, really enjoying the action. And as someone who is in their late 30s, uh, I think that is saying something just because I've seen a crazy amount of action movies in my time. Plethora. Yes. And uh, yeah, I found the film to be enjoyable. I thought that um, all the different actors were perfectly cast in there. I, I really like the trajectory of the film. I think that there was just um, a lot going on that just really lends itself to this this big world of assassins, spy, espionage, all that fun stuff. I really do like how there have been several films of this genre that have come out recently that that really play into having this symbiotic relationship with the different countries in the world and that sort of thing. I mean, John Wick, of course, is one of those where John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2 do a fine job of doing the exact same thing. They take a different approach to Mission Impossible, but that's a good thing. And I have been a big fan of the Bad Robot approach. Bad Robot, of course, is J.J. Abrams' production company. They're the ones who have um, really 
done all the heavy lifting for the previous three Mission Impossible films. And I've been a big fan of how they've managed to reboot this franchise. So I was kind of surprised in the beginning. It said Alibaba Films. Yeah. So I didn't know they had a production company. They do. Yeah. Alibaba has taken a very interested approach um, to Hollywood as just <laughs> this movie making stuff is kind of fun. <laughs> it really is. Well, and I remember back when Alibaba went public, that was one of the little nuggets of, of uh, detail that I just kind of went, huh, that's a bit interesting. And they, you know, um, Jack Ma, who is the, uh, the CEO of Alibaba, he talked about how he was very interested in having a um, kind of a Hollywood arm of Alibaba to be able to help finance some of those films. And I have seen the Alibaba logo in, uh, I would say, a handful of films now, which makes sense because Hollywood has really started to cater more towards an international audience as opposed to just like the United States, for instance. So like um, China being a huge draw as well as India. So, yeah, it, it was interesting to see that. It was pretty cool to, to, to see that in there. But anyway... Um, yeah, I would say high level thoughts. Really enjoyed the the film. I, I think it's honestly one of my favorite films of the summer. I think that um, you you should definitely go check it out if you haven't already. It, it is just I think I think it's a fun it's a fun ride, and I think like to to your point, it's something that is more of a a ride that, that adults can appreciate. Like that's, it's not dumbed down. There were uh, a few different kind of twists and turns. I was like, Oh, Oh, you know, it, it, <laughs> Oh, what? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, I say we step into our, uh, spoiler elevator, Steve. You first. Age before beauty, Russ. I'm, currently wearing my Mission Impossible mask that looks like your face. You look uh, pretty handsome too, I must say, with that mask on. Well, thank you. Although uh, you have little cutouts for the hair sticking up, that's that's where you, that's the giveaway, Russ. It is. <laughs> I feel like my, my, what, what little hair I have left breathe. <laughs> it needs to grow. And, uh, you know, just, just like grass needs sunlight to grow and maybe plant, you know, you're, you're, so does your scalp. I hope you're not some sort of double agent, Steve. <laughs> I hope you're not some sort of double co-host. You're not going to turn on me, are you? Um, I might turn, but I might go a diagonal direction. I might there's not, not a go lot of uh, wrestling room in this elevator. Oh, there's some thumb, thumb wrestling room. There it definitely is. Good point. <laughs> I do believe we're about to reach our floor here. Ah, oh, here we go. You ever jump in the elevator? I do. Me too. It's uh, it it doesn't ever fail to have someone if someone's in there with you that they have this look of horror on their face. Yeah, what are you doing? It. Yeah, it's just kind of like you do know that nothing is going to happen. It's just kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah. However, if you were to have say ten people all jump at the same time, that probably uh, that would might cause some damage, cause a little bit of stress to the steel cables. You know, I don't, who knows? You know, Russ. Something we should have said back in the non-spoiler section, the previous floor, is that people should be encouraged to see it in IMAX. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. We went to go see it in IMAX, and that is an IMAX film. 
It was designed for the bigger screen. I know you were not too thrilled with our seats because when I purchased the um, tickets, most of the the theater was already sold out. Mm -hmm. Well, then I wasn't thrilled again because there's a guy behind me who was like nervous, like, like during the action sequences, you could tell his heart was beating faster because his legs started shaking. Only he had his foot on the chair beside me, which was attached obviously to my chair. So my whole chair was going, grab his leg and punch him in the ankle. It's funny that you say that because the woman who was sitting next to me at one point kicked my, like strip kicked my foot. Yeah, like 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 something hey. startled her or something. And she leans over like, "I'm sorry." I'm like, "It's, it's okay." I'm bleeding now, thanks it's, to you. It's a <clears throat> it's a sign that it's a good film. Yeah. But even myself, like when I was watching, I mean, there were several times when I realized I was like like shaking my leg or foot or something because I was like, "Man, this is this is adrenaline pumping right here. This is good." I don't know if Dad should see it. He might. Um, no, I think he should. You, you think he'd be able to handle it? Yeah, because you know. He had to stop watching the TV show 24. Yeah, this is not as as, as intense as oh, 24. Okay. Right. 24, uh, 24 is in a category by itself, Rob. I do want to see this movie a second time in IMAX, preferably with, uh, like, you know, maybe four rows back. Uh, yeah. Take it in a bit. You, you think so? Three rows from the front yeah. in IMAX? In my, in a no, bit. no, not, not from the front, mm-hmm. but from where we were sitting. Yeah, that's right. I was about to say, oh. before you cut me off, oh. three rows. A little sensitive there, Steve. From the front. Is a little neck straining for you, Russ? Question mark? Well, not from the front because we weren't in the front. We three had- ro- right. Three rows back from the front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well technic- hence, technically, hence the front. technic to the Lee, oh, there were three rows and then there was this nice walking space and then our chairs. I saw two rows ahead of us, but then again, I'm shorter than you are. <laughs> Would you be interested in going with me again? Possibly, Ross. I think it would be fun. Maybe. And as long as it's still an IMAX, because that experience was meant for it. It I mean, was meant I, for it. I, I yeah. want to see it on a smaller screen. I agree. It needs to be on IMAX. I think if we got some seats that are far enough back, I think it would be worth watching again, because it was it was a good movie. You know, how much were the IMAX tickets? <sighs> are they 15 bucks or are they 20 bucks? They're, they were like closer to 20. I think they were like... 18 or 19 dollars. Okay. I was going to say, man, that's a little expensive. If, if IMAX was 15, there'd be a lot more business going through IMAX. Because you, you, if you think about it, everybody wants to see movies on the big screen, mm-hmm. but the big screen in the theaters anymore isn't so big because everyone has big screens at home now. They exactly. Have 50 inches and 65 and 75. Well, if you have 80s. a projector at home, that's right, like 160 go. inches. There you go. So let's get into the cast here. Tom Cruise did a great job. In yeah, my he did. The guy's in his 50s. Doing his own stunts, too. Absolutely. This film has been in production for a while, and just watching this guy doing all of his own stunts, that is to be commended. I'm sorry, but in a, in a world where so many different uh, crazy a, stunts are actually like CG... In a world where so many crazy stunts are CG... Thank you, trailer man. <laughs> but no, like, like just in a world where like we're able to have synthetic versions of the actor and then you see these things go on. And of course, our eyes have been trained to be able to pick out, oh, yep, that's a real actor versus, nope, that's CG. Nope, that's a CG mustache right there. Yep. Okay, yeah. got it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad we finally got to see the movie where we 
you know, realized that Henry Cavill was uh, under a contractual <laughs> obligation to maintain said stash. And that yeah. was a stash to behold. But anyway, going back to Tom Cruise. I, I mean, he was just born for this role. I, I really do enjoy him in the Mission Impossible movies. Every Mission Impossible movie I've seen him in, I've loved. I've always just had a blast watching this thing, and it's no different. You can tell he's getting a little old. Not like senior citizen old, but just he's getting a little old, a little grays in, in his beard, that sort of thing. And we, we talked a little about that. But, you know... The dude, he's, who cares? He's a good looking man. He's a good looking chap, that one. He is. I mean, you look at him and you're like, you, like, for the most part, like, <laughs> like 95% of you looks exactly the same as you did like 20 years ago. How, well, I was going to say, how do you do it? Really? It has to do with eating well and exercising. There you go, Russ. Don't drink soda. Drink water all the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I just thought, um, it was a pleasure watching him on the screen. Um, and I really do hope that they make more of these because they're just, they're going down this path. That's just terrific. And uh, I mean, he, uh, th there was nothing in the film that made me think, oh no, he's getting too old for this. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, yeah, make three more. There you go. Ron. And he put his real, his, his little cruisy heart out on the, the scene too. I mean, there was there was some stuff that was going on. It wasn't some cakewalk stunts. I mean, he was flopping around. He was sprinting off rooftops and stuff. I mean... The guy did a halo jump. Yeah. Like, that was legit. It was an actual halo jump that he did. That's um, insane. Like, that's usually the military does that. Yeah, I was actually watching an interview with uh, with Cavill, and he was going to do it too. He was kind of nervous, and, and then... Oh, what did they say? It's something I thought along the lines of either his manager or his agent said, yeah, no, you're not going to do it. You're, no, no, no. <laughs> I like my money. I like having a job. I like, I like representing <laughs> you. No. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't end up doing it, but yeah, it's actually, you know what? There's so much going around this movie with, with Tom Cruise. It's all about like Tom Cruise and like a lot of the actors just there supporting Tom Cruise in the movie, yeah. but all the actors did a great job. They did, and that really is is just a testament to the casting director who actually went through and you know picked all these different people out. And, and yeah, even though Tom Cruise is the main character in the story, you have such tremendous talent from all these other actors that just really add to the overall story. And I found all of them compelling, really. Um, let's go to Henry Cavill. So Henry Cavill, of course, we've only really known him as Superman, which I love him as Superman. I think he's a terrific replacement for um, well, Christopher Reeve. He was in the man from U dot N dot. Did you see that? C dot, yes, you did, did see it. Did you, you like it? it? Yeah, I liked it. I want to see that movie. It looks like it, like it could be a fun movie. Did you, you recommend me checking yeah, it out? I, yeah. I mean that, that one's more of a popcorn movie for sure. It I took mean, place in the sixties, right? Yeah. What did you think of Henry Cavill's performance in this movie? I thought it was fine. I, I didn't like the direction that the story took him, but I liked, I, he did great in, in the movie. I liked who he was being the little side agent um, with some, you know, different purposes. By the way, that interview that I watched with him, you remember that scene in the trailer that where that, the fight bathroom scene is and he like throws yeah. his cuffs. That, yeah, yeah. That, that was not, that was not scripted. Really? Yeah. He did that on the fly and then they were doing other takes and then, they're like, whoa, 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 cut. You didn't do the thing. And he goes, like, what are you talking about? What what thing? He's like, no, the cut. No, you didn't. 
He's like, oh, you want me to do that? I was just something that I just did. He goes, yeah, we want that. We want that in there. And it's totally cool. It, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite moments. It's like, oh, yeah. well, it's going down now. What it, what's, what's neat about it is, you know, they're, they're, they're dressed very proper yes. in the film. And usually sometimes if you throw your cuffs, you want the, your cuffs coming out of your suit blazer a little bit. But that's more for show, uh-huh. showy kind of stuff. So he looks like he did that. But in the bathroom, like he wanted to give him his elbows a little more room to move. He was throwing his cuffs because he was about to throw some fisticuffs. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really liked his character quite a bit. There, there was a lot going on in there. I do think that where you're coming from is that there, there, there are these constant villains that are within the U.S. government that the Mission Impossible series has done. And I think it's getting a little old. If I had to critique something about the film, I do think that is getting a little old where like, okay, we've been down this road before. I think it would have been, but you know, at the same time though, I still really, I really liked his character arc. Like having said that, even though the whole like, Oh, there's someone who works for the United States government and they're a bad guy. Right. I still really liked how Henry Cavill carried this character. And I liked how it, once again, it was not like a one dimensional character in terms of, Oh, I'm evil. I liked how (laughs) there was just a lot in there where there was like almost like a rivalry between Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, because of course, Tom Cruise being in his fifties, he's a lot older than Henry Cavill, who I believe is in his like thirties. I think he's in like late thirties. Yeah. So you have a you know a definite difference between that. Also, Henry Cavill is a much bigger man than than Tom Cruise is, and so he's more of an imposing um, visual on screen, that sort of thing. Um, he's a bigger man. He's a bigger man, man, baby. So, but I I, I did like how there was a a difference between the character's outlook in terms of like Ethan Hunt, who was very just surgical with, with what he did things. He wanted to keep a low profile. He had these different ways of just uh, minimizing damage and that sort of thing versus August Walker, who, who uh, <laughs> you know, he was much more blunt. He clearly didn't have experience in certain areas as Ethan Hunt did, but that made for an interesting situation in terms of how he would handle certain um I don't know, action sequences or or what his mindset was, that sort of thing. Well, I see. Let me continue where I was going with that. Please do. See, I see what you're saying about, okay, you know, ooh, there's a a mole in the CIA. They're government, so they're bad. (sighs) But then you have scenes where it's... uh, It's Tom Cruise and it's Ving Rhames and it's... Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Uh... And uh, what's that? For, uh, Lisa, wasn't it Ferguson? Lisa Ferguson? I'm trying to remember her Rebecca name. Rebecca Ferguson? Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the other dude from um, uh, the, the the boat guy, the tech dude. The, Simon Pegg. Thank you. They're all in that room. And then Ethan Hunt says, okay, I only trust the people in this room. Like, okay, well, what if all those people died? What if you died? Then who's going to be the next Mission Impossible dude? Like, mm-hmm. who we have left? Yeah. So I would have liked to see... Maybe if Henry Cavill's character was supposed to be bad, but then he turned good. That would have been really cool. Because then he could have he could have been like, if something bad were to happen, he can take over and be the new Mission Impossible guy. Right. And, or if they don't want to use him for a different Mission Impossible movie, they don't have to, but at least they have that out. Yeah. If, some of the, if the worst happens to Tom Cruise, where's the Mission Impossible series going to go? 
Who's the new going to be? They'd have, yeah, they'd have to find a new leading man for that. No, I I think that is a good point. I think that would have been an interesting approach to take, where like perhaps he was bad, and then somehow he is brought over um, and redeemed, and is able to to become part of the crew. Because I actually really did like watching him be part of the the Motley crew. Yeah, I did too. It was just I don't know. It was he acted as a nice kind of like physical backup to Tom Cruise. He did, and especially with that great fight in the bathroom. You know that it was cool to see how Tom Cruise. Um, really, I should say Ethan Hunt because it's <laughs> it's not literally Tom. Ethan Cruise. Yeah, Ethan Hunt was was clearly needing help with that one martial arts guy and um, having walker in there as well i don't know that that whole sequence was just super cool and even with the two of them in there they were having a hard time trying to take this guy down and so well you could tell also that that ethan hunt could have learned stuff from uh what's the walker walker thank you agent walker yeah that that name agent hunt Agent Walker. Agent Walker. I think there's been another Agent Walker in quite a few different movies. Anyway, but they they had they obviously had stuff that they could learn from each other. I mean, Walker learned a lot from Ethan just in that one skydiving scene. Ethan's like, okay, this is what's up. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to look out for. Mm-hmm. And the guy is looking at him like a deer in the headlights and then he even passes out and, you know, at some point. So, Agent Hunt has to save him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene too. There were so many great scenes. There was. In whole oh, the, movie. the cinematography in that movie, dude. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get to cinematography man. in a minute. So Ving Rhymes, um, you could tell he's starting to show his age. I think he's he's definitely um, not as sprightly as he once was, but it's always just fun seeing him in this this role. I think he just feels it just fine. I was glad that they actually gave him some pivotal speaking parts as it applies to Ethan Hunt's relationship to the women in his life. Yeah, I like that a lot. And Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg is again, you know, he, he's a, a fun addition. Uh, it's always great to be able to see him um, just be able to do his thing on there, have some comic relief. You know, he, he fits the bill nicely for that. Rebecca Ferguson is gorgeous. Yes, she is. I am particularly taken with um, her eyes. I was going to say both <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson and um, who plays Tom or Tom Cruise. I keep saying Tom Cruise. <laughs> Ethan Hunt's love interest, like who he like his kind of like his wife, but yet it's not his wife. I forgot who like what her name is. Is it? I'll find is it. it Michelle right, yeah. Monaghan. Yeah, I'll figure it out for you, Russ. Just keep on going. I look into it. It is. Uh, it, it, that's who it is. <laughs> oh, okay. It's Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, I did. I just uh, <laughs> I had to make sure I was uh, representing the correct people here. Not representing, but talking about describing. You know, that sort of thing. Respect. Anyway, the um, both of the, of the ladies in here are um, just like absolutely smashing. Well, you look at them and you're just like, man, like uh, I don't even know how to really describe it. <laughs> I like, just look at them and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very much in line with the world of Mission Impossible. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I think that. Um, Michelle, who plays Julia. Julia, of course, is Ethan Hunt's um, main love of his life kind of thing. It's such a perfect look for Ethan Hunt's uh, love interest on that. But I got to say also, too, that Ilsa was also just like, man, like, I don't know. I, I love the whole love triangle thing they had going on in there. Um, it wasn't much of a love triangle, though. 
Well, it was love triangle from from the standpoint that obviously Ethan Hunt has feelings for both ladies. Yeah. And but I liked how it wasn't like this infighting between the women, how like there was this understanding that based on Ethan Hunt being the special agent of the US government, there was this complication going on where he just he really didn't want to get too close to anyone because he for fear of harming them or having them get killed and that would be on his conscience and or conscience, excuse me, and and so it was cool to be able to see, and you see this more like in the previous Mission Impossible because um, Julia has been in the in the previous ones as well. And I just love how they're continuing down this path of, of just them being in a mature relationship where they, they understand how there, there's no question that they love each other. And at the same time, like their callings are forcing them to not be able to have a normal life. Right. So I thought, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, what did you think of, of, uh, Sean Harris who played Solomon? He was kind of like the main villain of the whole thing. He was the bearded, uh, raspy voice. So I thought he was fine as the whole terrorist guy. I, I, I was, I haven't watched the mission impossible since the limp biscuit mission impossible. Oh my gosh. That was like <laughs> mission impossible Two. I think that was mission impossible. That three. was like four MIs ago. I know. I haven't seen any of them since. So uh, they were saying that no, technically I think that was five MIs ago. I don't even know because this is the sixth one. I've seen more than one. <laughs> I've seen more than one. I've seen the first one and I saw the one with Philip. C- oh, was it Philip Seymour? Yeah. yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman Hoffman. Yeah, he was in, uh, I believe it was MI5. I see, it was either MI4 or MI5. It wasn't MI5 because that one was a while ago. No, 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 because like, you know what? Fine, I'll look it up. <sighs> anyway, that was the last one that I had seen. I don't remember the bearded dude being in that one. Maybe he was, but it, that to me was a long time ago that uh, I saw that one. So I haven't seen any of them since. And now I see this one and they're like, oh, well, you know, here's Tom Cruise, uh, Ethan Hunt's past with him. Like, I have no clue. I'm corrected. He was in Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> see, told you. <laughs> Continue. Anyway. I'm mad enough to admit when I'm wrong. Right. And then. Unless I'm never wrong. And in the beginning, you had the other dude who was in the bed and was that supposed to be like the same person? Like, I, I'm like, who, okay. Wait, which part are you talking about? Remember in the beginning when he just, when after Tom Cruise, <laughs> oh my gosh, freaking A. That's when so, you know your branding as an actor has uh, worked. When you cannot think of the character name at all, you just go with the actual actor's name. Continue, Steve. So they just lose the plutonium. Plutonium, yes. Yes. To, to Doc Brown and the Libyans. And, <laughs> and so then they had made that. A bomb. So I went and put them together with a bunch of machine guns. Oh no. Uh, pinball machine parts. Pinball machine parts. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, so they, they, they mocked that, uh, that, that hospital room. Yes. Okay. So that dude in the bed, I don't know who that guy was or in the correlation of the story. Maybe I missed a big nugget. Okay, so he played the the nuclear scientist. He he was the guy that the other bearded dude had picked right. up. And he was the one who actually like manu- he created the the bombs for the plutonium. Right. That that was his whole thing. But it seemed like Ethan Hunt. I got it that time. I stopped myself. I'm proud of you. Uh, he had some sort of history with them, and he was like he was trying to beat him up in the bed, and like oh this guy, sort of thing. It wasn't like he wasn't controlled. 
as if he just found out about this dude from, from the beginning. My understanding was Ethan Hunt was playing up the notion that these nuclear bombs had already gone off in the world. Cause that was the whole play, right? Was to, in order for them to be able to hack into this phone and get the information and stuff, they had to make this guy who was in the hospital bed, believe that the mission was successful. And so I think Ethan hunt really wanting to act like he was wanting to just pummel the guy in bed helped sell that to the guy thinking that like, wow, like this had actually happened. So therefore, as far as the guy in the bed was concerned, his whole purpose had been fulfilled. The mission was complete. So therefore there was no value in maintaining the secret for hacking into the phone. Little did he know that that was an entire setup uh, with it being a fake hospital room, that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess. So they just seemed like there was some more history where if you had seen all the mission impossibles, you would know exactly who that was. And in addition to the bearded guy as well, because then, then, uh, so the bearded guy has been in, in the, the previous mission impossible. Right? right. That's what I thought. So yeah. yeah cause, cause Walker was, <laughs> Walker was saying that yeah, Cavill's not branded yet. You're, um, you're getting good at this. <laughs> thanks. Uh, he mentioned while they were sitting in that truck, like, Oh, you were the guy who arrested him back then. And that's why he hate, you hate him. And that's why he hates you. And all oh, this is going to play out. Interesting. I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. That was a great scene, though, too, just the way that whole thing played out where you thought it was in a hospital and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Like those types of little plot twists, little curveball thingies are just so rewarding for the audience. Did you? I mean, you didn't expect that to be fake, did you? No, I didn't. But then it reminded me of uh, of Captain America's uh, hospital room, too, when they were monitoring him. I know this is, I'm totally switching gears on here, Russ, but. Um, That's fine. Yeah, you know, back, back in the first Avenger, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Remember the, at the end of the movie? When he wakes up from being in um, World War II, hibernation. Oh, he's frozen in ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, frozen carbonite. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> he wakes up and realizes he's not in a hospital, which he wasn't. He was just being monitored in some mm-hmm. you know apartment in New York, sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. remind me of that. Anyway, interesting. And of course, what you were saying too, Angela Bassett, uh, I'm a big fan of. She had a a smaller role. And honestly, I don't think she needed to be more in the film than she already was. There there were a pretty substantial amount of characters that we had to keep track of here. Vanessa Kirby played White Widow. Is it me or does she look like Lady Gaga? Kind of. Yeah. A little bit. I almost thought it was Lady Gaga on the screen. I actually wanted to get to know her character a bit more. Like she played the whole like, ooh, mysterious uh, allure. She was the only person to kiss Ethan Hunt in the movie. Between the other love interests, now obviously had one little something, a little something, something with him. She just like, you know what? I'm not even going to wait. I'm just going to smack it right on you. That's true. That's very true. I wonder if that was planned or if she just went off script and decided, you know, I'm going to plan a smooch. <laughs> you know, I'm working, with Tom Cruise. Cruise. I'm working with Tom Cruise. I'm working with Tom Cruise. I'm just going to do it. Oh, he's so good looking. He's in his 50s. All right, so let's go into plot here. Uh, so plot, uh, once again, standard Mission Impossible fare. Uh, I had a good time with it. I did think that the main villain uh, just... Honestly, I thought that the White Widow was more captivating than the uh, Solomon Lane. Solomon was the guy with the beard with the raspy voice. 
I don't know. Like I, I just felt like, I mean, he was there. It got a little intense toward the end there when they were trying to defuse the bombs. Yeah, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, this guy can fight. I, you know, I thought that that, that kind of made me uh, writhe a little bit in my chair. But really, overall, White Widow, I thought, would have been actually a cool villain. Especially considering the whole, like, love triangle thing. But um, overall, I thought it was good. What would you think? Yeah, I thought it was a standard fare. I mean, you got bombs and they're nuclear. They're going to blow up. Got to defuse them by the last second. Um, they're going to, you know take out many parts of the world it's a mission impossible but i thought i thought it was just kind of standard fare i thought that it could have had more twisty turns it seemed like it maybe borrowed some stuff from other action movies uh just to make yeah uh glued together mission impossible it wasn't i'm not gonna say it's terrible but it, it just seemed rather average it seemed like the story was in my opinion a little bit more of its weaker part Point, you know? yeah. yeah, I think it, it, obviously not a whole lot for your mind to munch on, but at the same time, it is an action movie. And let's talk about the action sequences. Let's talk about it. Hey, action sequences were spot on. They sure were. I mean, I, I sip top. I paid to see yes, some sir. spectacular action sequences, and my goodness, you got I, it again. Tom Cruise doing his own stunts just it made me nervous. Like when I he know. was riding around blasting through the streets on that motorcycle in France, I, and the whole time I'm thinking, man, I really like I know obviously obviously he didn't, you know, he's, a, he's sustained a, some sort of terrible yeah. injury but from the motorcycle sequence, but while I'm watching it, I'm just thinking, man, like I really hope no one hits him on like and it, it all factors back or filters back to the notion that he did his own stunts. That was not CG. That was not some stunt motorcyclist or whatever. That was him right. doing his thing on a motorcycle. Well, credit to credits too. I mean, he's a big motorcycle guy. He's been on Top Gear talking about motorcycles all the time. Like he he's he owns a lot of motorcycles and and other action movies that he's been in. He rides a lot of motorcycles. That's just his yeah. his bag. The uh, the helicopter sequences toward the end too. I mean, man, that was that was exhilarating to watch. He learned to fly the helicopter too. That was him flying the helicopter. <laughs> so insane, dude. Or him like like climbing up that rope on that one helicopter that he had to try and commandeer. Yeah, I was wondering, oh, is that CG in the background? I mean, I didn't know. I don't know if it was. Maybe it was or not. But I mean. I mean, he's doing all his own stunts anyway. <laughs> like, is there some safety net with some drones like following? <laughs> I'm sure they there was some sort of safety cable or something that they had to um, uh, green screen out or whatever. Like they had to, to wipe out of there, clean up. But still, I mean, just again, you have a 50 something year old doing those types of physical stunts. And it's just like, dude, that's man, respect. And what's also cool is it makes the action believable. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because he's actually flying that helicopter. Um, he's lowering and raising his altitude. He actually put it into that spin. Um, so I don't know. I, I like stuff like that. Even with, with Agent Walker getting that, oh, I wish I knew the name of that uh, machine gun that he had, but he's oh, man. constantly going back and forth and you're trying to push against the weight of the, or in the inertia of the helicopter to try and shoot at Ethan Hunt, right? Right. And then he did shoot the engine, but the engine didn't blow up right away. You know, it took some time for it to overheat and then catch fire and then they were in a, in a pickle. You know, that's, I like that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all that just, well, it becomes, you have a greater sense of threat and danger when it, it comes across as being much more just, 
wow, like this is, this is not so sensational or fantastical in a way that like, you're just like, well, I'm going to suspend my, my disbelief for this kind of thing. Really, you look at it and you're just like, wow, like if something were to go wrong, this would be a dicey situation. And I don't know, it, once again, it just puts me more on the edge of my seat as a result. I did like that scene when he's in the helicopter. He's like, I'm just going to figure it out, which, you know, he is kind of a, like a MacGyvery kind of guy anyway. He knows a lot about this stuff. He's pretty talented, but he goes, okay, I got throttle. I got, okay, this says this. He's yeah. figuring out. I don't know. I, I really did appreciate that they stuffed those little nuggets in there. Well, and I like too how like it really, that particular scene you're describing was a great opportunity where he was not able to rely on his tech guys. Right. Because he was typically in the past was like, okay, now what do I do? Now tell me what to do. Now what do I do? And, you know, and they were just, okay, now what you want to do is blah, 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 you know, and work your way through it. He had to rely on himself. Having that, that moment of self-reliance, once again, it, it raises the stakes in terms of, okay, how is he going to get out of this situation? Very nice indeed. I thought also too... Um, the, the I like I going back to his wife, like it was it was kind of heart wrenching in a way to see how she was married to someone else, right? And the dude was a nice guy, he's cool, yeah, everything else, but like just how that just needed to happen in order for her to be able to be protected, move on with her life, kind of thing. But just obviously, it's it was very different, obviously, than like if a couple gets divorced and they decide to go on their own separate ways, whatever. This was not that yeah, at that, all. It was some good acting right there too with uh, the expressions. And Fantastic whatnot. acting. Yeah. And, and also just the, the mature, complicated situation that it was where it's like they would obviously be together if they could, but they couldn't. And Aren't we talking about action, Ross? We are. Well, no, we're talking about just the, the plot <laughs> and the action itself. Oh yeah, okay. We're talking about action. You're you're leading okay. on. You're leading on to hypothetical other action, Russ. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Anyway, well, going back to it, uh, were there any other action sequences? Well, yes. Continue. Well, I appreciate. We talked about the Halo jump. Yes. We talked about the bathroom yes. scene. Yes. We talked about the motorcycle scenes. Yeah. Yes. Talked about the uh, the fighting toward the end there with the uh, the bomb. Mm-hmm. What is driving? This? Oh, yes. Please continue. Man. Okay, so I, this went back to my, the Ronin days a little yes. bit. I mean, not not quite there because that, that driving scene out of Ronin stands out uh, to, on its own. But you have like an older BMW, which, which if you're a car guy, you're going to appreciate the older BMWs. There's even divisions out there that are hopping up the old older divisions, dining and whatnot. So you got that going on and... They, they cut the music so you can just hear the like the screeching tires and the revving engines and the close calls and whatnot. Like, give it to me. I like that stuff. Yeah, that, that was really cool. I, I there that one moment where he was able to hit the e brake and just negotiate down those stairs perfectly onto the road <laughs> so and then awesome. continue driving. I was just like, man, like. Yeah, I I could never ever hope to be that good unless I went through some very rigorous driving training. Yeah, but oh, yeah, again, it's just it's it's that visual action spectacle that's just so fun to do. And well, plus watch. even it, with with music, sometimes in action, it's a little overproduced. Mm. It's a little much if you have this this heavy music with a heavy scene with all this action. Sometimes it's nice not to have any music and just appreciate the scene for how it would actually play out if it played out in real life. No one's going to, there's no going to orchestra going to appear out of nowhere. Poof! And 
you know. Well, since you brought up music, let's let's go into that. I really enjoyed the soundtrack of this particular Mission Impossible. I really did think that there was a perfect balance between certain moments that didn't have a whole lot of music and other parts that just had the whole swelling crescendo of, of sure. something that's, that was happening. The composer is Lorne Balfe, and I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing that correctly. His last name is spelled B-A-L-F-E. So I'm, I'm assuming it's Balfe. I don't think it's Balfe. But anyway, Balfe. I'm not too familiar with his name, but looking at what he's done, he's at, he has worked on a number of films that I, I do recognize. And hats off to him. I, I, I think that had that soundtrack not been in there, some of the key scenes would not nearly have been as intense. And I really liked how he explored the Mission Impossible theme. And he took certain elements from the main theme song and then kind of worked in some other more intense melodies and, and just tones overall. And did you like it? I did. I, I, I don't think it was something to go out and get the, the soundtrack for, but I, with the Mission Impossible movies, it seems like they have to put a different spin on how the, the theme song plays out, similar to like uh, uh, James Bond in a way. Mm -hmm. So I was thankful that they did it the way they did it this time. They didn't try to overproduce it, Limp Bizkit style. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know what, Russ? Mm. Now, that we're, now that I mentioned that, Metallica made it, did a good job with the... Um, their rendition of the Mission Impossible. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't think I've ever heard that. Wow. Wow. I'll look it up for you, Russ. I'll look it up. Okay. I'll well, find we'll, it for we'll, you. We'll listen to it after the program yeah, because okay. we don't have the rights okay. to be able to. Much. Sure. Fine. 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 <clears throat> I was looking at um, Lauren Balfe's IMDb page here. I have a feeling he has worked with Hans Zimmer because I remember um, telling you when we were leaving the IMAX theater that I was like, man, this music sounds kind of like Hans Zimmer in a way. And looking at this, he's worked on Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, which was the sequel to Sherlock Holmes, which was composed by Hans Zimmer. There was also Inception. No. And I know for a fact that Hans Zimmer also worked on that. So I think... Man, I, I'm going to do some research on this gentleman because do that? I think that at the very least, he's got to be in the Hans Zimmer camp to some degree. And maybe this is an opportunity for him to branch out a bit. But, um, you know, if that is, in fact, the case, it kind of reminds me a bit of like the whole Michael Turner thing that we talked about early on in the program about how Mark Silvestri brought Michael Turner in because Michael Turner also his his drawing style was similar to that of Mark Silvestri. I think in the, the music world, I think that this is also the case. So what else can we talk about here? I think that just about cinematography. Okay. Cinematography. Good. Definitely. Great. Cinematography is definitely worth talking about in this. What'd you think? I think it should be up for an award by golly. Really? Yeah, baby. Oh. I'm telling you. I mean, this was, I mean, a lot of the action, again, when you go into an action movie now, it seems like you got to be a teenager to really appreciate it because it's so much slow-mo and so much CG and, and you're, no, okay. Throw on a, a, a high-definition GoPro or something on whatever you're shooting, put it on the location, and start filming. I mean, even when like the, 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 they push that, that carrier into the water and the, the camera's attached to the vehicle, but the vehicle is rotating, what was that, clockwise, but it looks like the water yes. is coming. I mean, brilliant! 
Yeah, that that Come was on. very satisfying visually. You're just like, whoa, what the? Or even, yeah, like even the helicopter sequences yeah. too, where like they're tumbling around of in the course. snow. And you're like, where are you? You really felt like you were with them. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole cinematography was brilliant. I'm being straight honest. I thought the cinematography was probably the best part of that entire film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, that that was super creative, really cool. Also, the scenes too, where like they had kind of almost like. The, the Hollywood version of a GoPro camera, like yeah. when Tom Cruise was like underneath the underbelly of the helicopter trying to get up there and stuff. Yeah, I appreciate all that. The the way that they frame the different vistas of being in France versus being in, um, you know, quote unquote, uh, what was it, Kashmir or whatever, which yeah. actually was not. They were filming that mostly like, uh, I want to say... California. No. no, it was like New Zealand <laughs> yeah, yeah. and... Somewhere else. I think I think it might be actually be listed in our trivia. But overall, just wonderful times of day and night and that sort of thing. Even during the, the club sequences too, all the different types of moving lights and the reflections of, on the, the different surfaces and stuff. Oh, just love it. Um, let's go ahead and actually bounce into our trivia courtesy of IMDB. I found some fun little notations here, little anecdotes. The film had 3,000 setups, 13 helicopters, six pregnancies, five hiatuses, four weeks of aerial photography, three continents, two winters, and one broken ankle. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. Anyway, uh, while filming Tom Cruise, uh, of course, this, this is actually very well known now. Um, Tom Cruise fractured his ankle in a stunt where he leaped from a building. I think everyone in the theater, when we saw the scene, we knew it was going to happen. We're like, ah! it just made it that much worse because we knew what actually happened during the filming. Production was halted for seven weeks, but the July 18th, or excuse me, the July 2018 release date was kept. So no delay there. Wow. Awesome. Tom Cruise trained for an entire year to perform the Halo, which stands for High Altitude Low Opening Stunt in, his, in this film. Rebecca Ferguson. Actually, let me halt you right there. They did. They had to do that jump over 100 times is what Cavill was saying. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Tom, um, excuse me, Rebecca Ferguson was pregnant while filming the movie. Oh. She was about seven months pregnant when filming was completed. Wow. That, I could not tell at all. <laughs> at two hours and 27 minutes, this is the longest Mission Impossible film to date. It did seem a little long. Uh, Henry Cavill replaced Tom Cruise for The Man From Uncle in 2015. I think I remember that, yeah. In 2000, or excuse me, in June of 2017, Tom Cruise, Michelle Monaghan, and Simon Pegg arrived in New Zealand to begin filming scenes. It was Cruise's first time to the country since filming The Last Samurai of 2003. <laughs> I had no idea that they actually did filming for that film in New Zealand. Uh, let's see here. Curiously absent from the final theatrical cut is the final shot seen in several of the movie's trailers in which Ethan Hunt appears to be flying a helicopter at ground level directly towards a tractor trailer. The shot itself is odd considering the entire final cut 
of the helicopter sequence taken, or excuse me, takes place in a remote snow covered mountainous area. Whereas the deleted shot appears to take place directly above a surface road surrounded by a thick canopy of greenery. Yeah. I thought he was actually another truck. Yeah. That, that whole thing. I, I'm, I would like to find out more information as to why they did that. Unless it was just strictly for the trailer. I don't know. And finally, Henry Cavill was offered the role publicly of uh, Agent Walker through his Instagram by the director. (laughs) That goes to show you, yes, that social platform can be used for uh, your career advancement if done correctly and properly. It's all about who you know. (laughs) And who's watching. Yeah, exactly. So please, Steve, give me your conclusion and star rating to Mission Impossible Fallout. Well, I think if anybody likes any sort of action movie, they should watch this film. And you should definitely see it in the theater, and you should definitely see it in IMAX to do do yourself and the movie justice. If you don't, you're not seeing the movie in its entirety. Uh, as I just said uh, a couple minutes ago, I, I think the cinematography was its best point and everyone should see it and I think it should be nominated for an award. But being that it was its best point means that everything, a lot of other stuff came to second and third place. Most, most of all the story. I thought the story, we've seen it all before. I felt kind of rushed. I felt kind of pieced together. But at the same time, the pacing felt a little bit long. But then again, it's just an action movie. You're supposed to go in there. You're supposed to have a thrill ride. You're, you're supposed to have a good time. And I did. And I think the whole entire theater did. The guy kicked my chair enough times. I know he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, I you know, I would say strictly from an action point of view. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll give it two different ratings. If you If you're basing it just on an action movie, which is never going to be like, okay, best action movie. You know, that's never going to get that award. So if we rate it just on action movies, I'm going to give it a four. If we were to rate everything all together, I would say three and a half. There you go. I really enjoyed the film. I had a really good time with just, I think I was in the right frame of mind to, to want to see a new action movie. And you know, we've seen movies like Avengers Infinity War, which of course that is an action movie, but it's not like pure adrenaline rush action. There, there actually is a fair amount of, of plot and exposition that needs to be told during a, a movie like that. Whereas this is much more just for the stunts, for the exotic locations, for the, the new people and old people that you get to watch on, on the screen, that sort of thing. I totally agree. I think that this film was designed for IMAX. If you're going to see this and you have an IMAX screen that's nearby, definitely go check it out. It is a lot of fun to be able to check um, just, just all the different crazy visual spectacles that you see in this movie. I really love the casting choices that were made in here. I did like how the, the story progressed with some of the character arcs. I do agree also that I think as a plot it was not the, the most deepest of plots. It's, it definitely felt like been here, done that kind of thing, but that's not bad considering just like, once again, the, the character arcs really made things more fresh. Um, and I loved just where everything kind of ended up. I think having Henry Cavill was, um, was very pivotal in terms of having this movie feel fresh and, and different and cool. I liked a lot of, of what his character represented and how Henry Cavill performed the character. Um, 
again, the music was great. The cinematography was great. I will give it four stars. Okay. I think four stars is good. If I had any critiques, I would say that the character Solomon was a bit one dimensional. I never really felt like he was like this huge mastermind type of character. Like if I were to compare, compare him to like Thanos, there's no comparison. Right. Thanos was, was by far much more terrifying of of a villain than this guy. Yeah. This guy was kind of forgettable. Yeah. Having said that though, I did find that Henry Cavill was pretty, um, not terrifying, but just man, like, like he, it shows his, 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 girth of uh, acting skills where he can play someone like a boy scout superman versus uh kind of a turncoat assassin yeah double agent in mission impossible i mean he had a lot of great screen presence he did and i and i thought well i was just thinking right now the, the reason they probably killed him off is so that he doesn't get typecast as this kind of agent person. Because if you think of him in other movies that we've seen, he's a special agent and man from Uncle, and which I know right. they want to make another man from Uncle. So he's gonna be if they kept him alive in this movie and they go, oh, he's a special agent in Mission Impossible. Oh, good, he's a special agent and man from Uncle. Oh, he's a, you know he might be a little bit typecast. So right, I don't know. I, I wish they did give him more screen time. I think he was a welcome addition. I'm glad he was part of the cast. I think the story could have gone maybe a little bit different. I don't know. I was just glad yeah. to see him. I, I I think that that uh, he was he was awesome. Yeah, I thought I, he was great. I think I th- I would still prefer him to be part of the crew. I think they could have turned him good and then used him whenever they wanted to for other Mission Impossible stories. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Joy Guys, and make sure you tune in next week as we talk about video game stocks and how to profit from them. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm. And if you feel so inclined, pledge a dollar a month for exclusive access and early access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. Later.